the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. Friday, September 29th, 2023. Starting the show a little bit differently today because uh, we are honored by a special guest who is in studio with me. And I wanted to uh, take the opportunity to have him with us and um, have him speak with you all. And that is uh, the great... uh, financial guru, great uh, author, Robert Kiyosaki, who is in studio with me. Many of you may know him from his tremendously uh, best-selling work, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He's the author of several other books, including a co-authored book with uh, one Donald J. Trump. The times are odd and different, and people are having a hard time trying to grapple with them and get a good handle on them. And so I've been interested in speaking with people who have learned a lot and done a lot, and helped a lot of people with what they have taught, and one of those people is Mr. Kiyosaki. So it is a delight to have you in studio with us today, sir. Thanks for being here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I don't know if this is appropriate enough, but happy Yom Kippur. Oh, thank yeah. you very much. Happy, uh, what can I say to you? Happy Friday. Happy, happy Friday. Friday. Right, thank right, you, right, sir. Right, right. Thank you very much. We live in tough times, uh, Mr. Kiyosaki, uh, even if people don't realize it, and I'm going to get into some of that with you. But one of the things that it seems to me we need in politics as much as in economics, and maybe you can't, maybe we can't separate them, but we need, in tough times, we need tough people. And I think if anything represents kind of this new movement within conservative politics or within some of the Republican Party, it's that... Um, this is not a time for shrinking violets. This is not a time to go quiet. This is a time to flex some muscle and show some strength. And I wonder if you, A, agree or might want to speak to some of that, because it also means having to make sometimes hard decisions or sacrificing decisions at times, too, in a way, doesn't it? Absolutely. And you know what? There's a saying I have. I've had some, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. So I don't have a steady job and all this. <laughs> You did all right. And I've met some really shonky, bad people yeah. called partners. Yeah. Okay. You know, and you can't believe that anybody could be so sneaky and dastardly. Yet there's always a brighter side. Out of every bad deal I've done has come a good partner. It's just the most amazing thing. So my rich dad, who was my best friend's father, said, just don't worry about it. You, know, you always look for the good people. So out of this thing with Arizona State University and uh, – you know, the 39 woke professor shutting down. We, we put on this thing, health, wealth, and happiness. One of the good things that happened was I met you. Yes. And Senator Anthony Kern. Great man. And you guys are fighters. And I, was, I had really lost faith a lot of times in politics. So, I, you know, I, I stayed neutral. My poor dad ran for lieutenant governor of the state of Hawaii as a Republican. It was such a bad event. It was horrible. It's a nasty, you know, politics is a dirty game, as yeah, you know. Sure. But the best thing that happened out of this Arizona State thing that's still bubbling is I meet great people. Yeah. And like we fight and we gotta fight back. My, my whole point of view as a financial guy, we can't even balance our budget. 
They're going to shut the Congress down. America is now the biggest debtor nation in the world. And we can't balance a budget. What is wrong with it? We spend billions, not trillions, on education. And today, the number one asset for the U.S. government is student loans. Yeah. Yeah. How dare? How dare? And that was the Obama administration that did that one. I'm not Republican or Democrat. I just call it, as I see it, Obama did something goofy. And student loan debt went to $1.8 trillion. So it's now the number one asset of the U.S. government. That's the future for generations to come. Student loan debt, I'm a professional investor. I would never touch a student loan debt. It's the most onerous thing going. But why don't people say something? You know, this Arizona State University, why don't more people speak up? Because Arizona State University has gone woke, and it's the biggest, the largest institution in America. And it's gone woke. But nobody says anything. It's interesting. The debt itself is so enormous. The student debt that you're talking about, college loan student debt, it's so incredibly high. And the government wants to provide more and more incentives to get it. And I've always thought there was something odd, particularly with this plan of President Biden's where other people were going to be encouraged to pay off, forced to pay off other people's student debt. I always wondered about, I've often wondered about Robert, I've often wondered about if there wasn't some encouragement by the left or the Democratic Party to force as many people into our universities as possible so that they could become indoctrinated. I used to have very high views of higher education. I used to you know, spend my life around higher education. I was in higher education. And I have to tell you, I've become very jaded about it. And it's been taken over by nothing short of Marxist socialism in all but maybe five or six colleges you and I could name on our two hands probably together or hand each of ours together. It almost seems as if they want to force people into these or at least direct people into these to these institutions of indoctrination to make more leftists. I think you're correct. And it's the same reason Biden opened the southern border. Right. So that there'll be more people they can pay money to who'll vote for the Democrats. Yep. I'm not Republican or Democrat. I went to military school. Our motto was octa non verbo, deeds, not words. So I watch what a person does, not what they say. And so Biden, his first act, again, I'm not Republican, American, that first act was to cut off the Keystone XL pipeline. Right. I'm an oil guy. Yeah. I make a lot of money in oil. I drill oil wells. I don't have oil stocks. I have oil wells. The moment he cut off the Keystone XL pipeline, I was well, under Trump who's a great guy, I was selling oil at $30 a barrel. Yeah. The moment Biden cut it, cut the Keystone off, oil went from $30 a barrel to $130 a barrel. I knew exactly what that communist was doing. He was going to make inflation so high because the world runs on energy. Mm-hmm. And the moment he cut off the Keystone pipeline, so you guys said, well, you're, you're, you know, I'm, being a, I'm a Marxist or whatever I am. That's what he did. Yeah. Don't listen to what he says. What did he do? It's and oil went from $30 to $130 a barrel, and then we have inflation, and that Biden blames Russia for it. Yeah. I'm going, what? Right. How stupid are the American public? And they want to vote for him yet. I, yeah. You, you, you wonder who, who he has some, some, some tremendous unpopularity level that's peaking in the 70s. You wonder who that 30% is. I had a friend, I have a friend in Southern California, Robert, um, and he was saying, 
you know, the cheapest gas here is about is over six bucks a gallon now. The cheapest gas you can get, you know, Southern California, the average commute is about fifty miles. Average. That means there's more, there's less. But the average commute to go to work in Southern California is about fifty miles. He said to me, very simple sentence. He said, at six dollars a gallon, he goes, how can we go on? How can we, how is this at all sustainable? Because of course, the only way people are going to pay for that, be able to pay for that kind of gas is creating what? More credit card debt too, isn't it? I think we're in for an explosion here. I don't know what the word is, but explosion, I think, is a kind word. Okay, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I I think, look, we're the biggest debtor nation in the world. Yeah. And we weren't until 1971 when Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard. And then we started printing fake money. Mm -hmm. And we keep printing it. What is wrong with us? Why didn't somebody say stop? That's why I was very happy to meet Senator Anthony Kern. A guy can fight. We need to fight as capitalists. We're not Marxists or socialists. We're about to start talking as capitalists because these bloody Marxists are running our universities. And that's what happened to us at Arizona State when the 39 Marxist professors shut us down for doing a little innate little program called Health, Wealth, and Happiness. I spoke on wealth. And the Marxist professor shut us down. So this guy, Crow, who is the whatever, whatever he is. President, yeah. What happened to his, you know, as the Mexicans would say, cojones? Mm-hmm. Stand up to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or the Board of Regents, for yes. that matter. I think they're intimidated by the ideology of Marxism. Yes. It's a very strong intimidationary yes. force. Yes. And I think that it's easier to go along and get along and not make waves. And once they can plant the term white nationalist, as they tried to do with you and Dennis Prager, once they can plant <laughs> that on you, well, who wants to stand up for a white nationalist? It's a very clever tactic of the left. It's a very clever tactic of what Marxists do and what Nazis do, too. They like to put labels on people to make them somehow separate from the human race. Less That's human. What they, less than human. Right. That's right. That's right. Intervention. Let me take a quick commercial break and come back because... Because I want to talk about some of where this country has been and in the recent past when you were in the military in the 60s and early 70s as compared to today culturally and the hold that Marxism has gotten on this country. If you'll allow me uh, the quick commercial break. You're, you're, you're pro-commercial breaks. Robert Kiyosaki, of course, is pro-commercial. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, privileged, honored, and delighted to have uh, my friend uh, Robert Kiyosaki uh, in studio with me, author of many books, uh, most famously Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You've made allusion to this in the previous segment, uh, Robert, if I may, about uh, our friendship. It was forged in battle. Sometimes battle does create the, the best kinds of friends because you're, as I think we spoke about last time you were here with uh, Ann Atkinson, another friend of ours, we were saying because it— you know, a friend is someone who makes you a better person, and at least a good friend is someone who makes you a better person. And to be a better person, you have to fight for the right things. And you find some of these people in the trenches of battle, which is where you and I found yep. each other. So thank you for that. You were talking about the, traje- the trajectory of America, and we'll come back to the financial in a moment. Let me talk about the political and cultural, because you were, you were in the you were you were in the military in the sixties and seventies. Yes, I have the time frame roughly right. Yes, I was. I went to. Um, I flunked out of high school twice. Can you imagine that? Yet I still got nominations to Naval Academy and Merch Marine Academy. There you go. There you so go. I took Merch Marine Academy, and then I went to Vietnam twice. Okay. So I flew in Vietnam 
in um, as a carrier pilot, helicopter gunship, went down three times and uh, fought for my country. Thank you for that, by the oh, way. Thank you. God bless you for that. There was an article I've been talking about for a few weeks now. It came out in the Wall Street Journal by a, a political consultant who said that as division, as divisive as it, things look in America right now, he said the 60s were actually worse when you thought about the Black Panthers and the Weather Underground and all those bombings, that there was just a lot more of that, including the assassinations. I don't agree, and I wonder what you think, and feel free to disagree with me. I don't agree that it's worse. it was worse then. I think it's worse now because of that communism thing, because of that Marxism thing. You know, back then in the 60s, even the liberal professors loved this country and often often were World War II vets themselves. I tell the story I was dating a girl once told me when she was a kid, her liberal mother, she asks her liberal mother, is it okay if I marry a black man? Mother says yes. Is it okay if I marry a Hispanic man? Mother says yes, of course. She says, is there anyone I can't marry? And the mother said, well, you can't marry a communist. That was the thinking in the 60s, <laughs> right? That was the thinking, even by the liberals. Today, there is more communism in this country than I think there has been at any other time. I think we're a different country now, and that's why I think it's worse. But I'd be curious as to what you think. You said it right. You well said. I remember I was taxiing in from uh, Vietnam January 3rd. You know, after a year in Vietnam, I, have my, I took 16 men over, 16 young Marines. We all came back alive. We taxied into Norton Air Force Base. And there was the captain comes on the plane and says, ladies and gentlemen, there weren't any ladies on the plane, but he said, as soon as you get into the terminal, get into civilian clothes immediately. Go, why? He says, because the hippies are out there. Uh huh. So that was 71. That was after the Woodstock and the Love-In generation. And so my young men and I, we go out there. We got hit by eggs, spit on, called baby killers. And I do this to my conservative groups. I said, <clears throat> I jokingly say, I said, I swear I saw Nancy Pelosi in that crowd. <laughs> but that's my point. Yeah. Those hippies grew up to become our college professors. Yeah, that's right. They become our leaders. That's right. They're the guys who took over Silicon Valley. That's right. And so the hippies of the loving generation who were spitting on guys like me coming home, hit with eggs, calling us baby killers and all that, they're now run the show. That's Bill Clinton and Obama. I'm not Republican or Democrat. I just call it as I see it. But that's you're on to something else, too, when you said Silicon Valley, because, you know, another thing I like to talk about, like to run by you as well. A lot of us kind of ignored the universities for a long time. Correct. A lot of us who I would say are conservative, and I don't mean to put a label on you. I'll, I'll just speak for myself. A lot I'm pretty of conservative now. <laughs> OK. All right. All right. So we would say, you know what the kids are doing in college? You know, it's college. They'll graduate. They'll get their paychecks. They'll be fine. Turns out we were wrong about that because that Marxist ideology is so damn strong that it loves a vacuum and it filled those vacuums up. And those 20 and 30 and 40 somethings that graduated from those Marxist, they now run Silicon Valley. Who do we think is doing the censoring on social media? Yes. Right? Yes. That's who's doing it. Yes. Yes. I read uh, in 1965, I was from Hilo, Hawaii, where nobody's ever heard of it, but it's the most farthest city south in America. What is it? Hilo? Hilo, Hawaii. Yeah, it's a, I, when people say, where are you from? I'm from, from the deep south. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we're mostly Asians. Yeah. And I go to school in New York, in New York City, and then my English, my economics teacher at the academy, Kings Point, says, 
you're going to read the Communist Manifesto. Okay. So in 1965, I'm 18 years old, I read the Communist Manifesto, and I went, oh, my God. My family are communists. Really? It doesn't mean they're bad people. Please hear what I'm saying. My, my economics teacher, he was, a world, he was a World War II West Point graduate, B-17 pilot. He went down. He inspired me to go fight in Vietnam. But economics is kind of like a religion. You know, some people say you're a Jew, you're a yeah, Muslim, you're sure, Catholic. Sure. Like when I was in New York for the first time, I couldn't believe Catholics were shooting Protestants. Go, <laughs> right, this is right, nuts. Right, this right, is nuts, you know right, what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> and, but so my economics professor, he's going, you got to watch this Marx stuff. And then so Marx made two predictions. One of them I remember, he says that basically communism would come in through our system via our schools. Yeah. And that was Columbia University. Yeah, right, right. And I remember, because I was in school in 1969 in New York, and Columbia University was the, one of the first colleges to riot. Oh, yeah, that was the hotbed. Yeah, yeah. and then there was Kent State. Right. Then right. there was Berkeley. Right. And here I am, I'm the same age as these hippies, you know, and we were a divided country back then. Yeah. Back yeah. then. Yeah, but the corporations were on our side. The liberal professors were, by and large, at least pro-American, I think. It's, yes. by and large, fair to yes. say. You think about, like, the kinds they stood, of— They stood for the right for free speech. Yes, for free speech and for the Constitution. You think about the people who were, would have been in John Kennedy's cabinet or Lyndon Johnson's cabinet. These were Harvard professors who were loyal to this country. The Constitution. And they would not have liked—I mean, John Kennedy was one of the most strong anti-communists to yeah. serve in the White yeah. House, right? Yeah. So that's who was surrounding him. That was the difference then. And the professors now are not of that ilk. And so I— I think about this college debt, and I think about steering children into or young adults into these institutions, and I think we're mad at several levels. I mean, I, not like yourself, perhaps, in volume, but, you know, occasionally I get the opportunity to mentor a young person. It's now a serious question as to recommend that they go to college or not for me. And I wonder what you would suggest. Do would you? Su- I mean, there's five, as we say, five or six colleges. But by and large, would you tell a young 18-year-old, a promising young 18-year-old, they should go to college if it wasn't one of those five good ones? Probably not. I would. I, I don't like to give advice to young people. I said, well, why doesn't a school teach us about money? Yes. Yes. See, my whole thing is I'm a capitalist. Yeah. And our schools are Marxist. Okay. And Marx hated capitalist. Yes. He says he wanted to destroy religion. And capitalism. That was Marx. Let me pick and, up. And okay. labor unions. Oh, my, good. My poor dad was head of the teachers union. Good. So that's why I said I'm in school in New York in 1965 reading the Communist Manifesto. I said, oh, my God. You recognize. My parents are communists. <laughs> All right. Let me take a quick, another quick commercial break because we're not communists here. And let's pick up on that financial literacy when we come back. Talk a little bit about that with Mr. Robert Kiyosaki. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. You were talking about oil. There's the Dallas theme song. Mr. Robert Kiyosaki is my guest, author of several books, uh, most uh, well-known for uh, his landmark book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, Financial literacy we're talking about. Um, A lot of uh, young adults do go to college. They come out in serious debt. Before they even have their first job, they could be several hundred thousand into the hole, but at uh, at least tens of thousands of dollars in the hole. What would you say we need to teach with regard to financial literacy to our young people? <clears throat> what do they not understand? What are we not teaching? Are we, do we think, are we making it too easy for them? 
It's, it's not an easy answer. My poor dad was a PhD, went to Stanford, University of Chicago, Northwestern. To him, the most important piece of paper was his college degree, his diploma, his PhD. To a capitalist is my financial statement. Yeah. So when I talk to young people, I say, can you read a financial statement? And most of them can't. And it looks like most of our politicians can't either. Yeah, right. I mean, right. that's why we're the biggest debtor nation in the world history. And the way we solve our problems, we print more money. This can't last much longer. I mean, it was the day of reckoning coming. Are we too soft? I mean, is this what's, what's, what's happened? We, th- we, we want the freebies? Well, I think I read, well, like I said, I read Communist Manifesto. Marx was winning. That book was written in 1848. It's only about 50 pages. Yep. And when I was at Arizona State with the teachers, the professors protesting our event, I held up the Communist Manifesto and I said, you guys should read this book and find out who you are. You're Marxists. Nothing right. I'm, I'm a, I support, you want to be a Marxist? Free country. You know, you want to be Buddhist? Be a Buddhist. I'm not here to argue with you, but find out who you are. And most professors are Marxists, but they have never read the good book called the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> you haven't been able to find, not you, any, no one has been able to find for me an example of a Marxist country that has been able to succeed without turning the guns on its own people. You've seen that. You've yeah. been to these countries. Right. I don't know what to say about China with regard to this, except that it can only seems to me exist, Marxist through and through, it seems to me only to be able to exist with massive suppression. It has gulags for certain parts of the population, of course the suppression of free speech, of course the monitoring of individuals. It almost seems to me as if the entire country is one kind of Soviet gulag like Alexander Solzhenitsyn lived in and wrote about. Is that how they do subsist? They can only exist, if they exist, through massive suppression of individual rights. It seems that way, but we're getting closer and closer to that with this. That's what I was worried about. It's called the CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency. Yeah. Our freedom is going to be gone with that one. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there going, what do I do? Yeah. So that's why I'm stashing gold, silver, Bitcoin. I want to get off anything the Fed or the Treasury touches, I don't want anything to do with. Like I, I, you know, I'm not a financial planner. I don't give financial advice. But I say anything the Fed can print, I don't want. <laughs> so I want, I want gold, silver. I have cattle. You know, I can't print cattle. I have oil. Can't print oil. And I own hotels and things. Anything they print, I don't want. Real property. And uh, is that the right phrase, real property? Is that the right phrase? Did it terrify you as it did my listeners and me? when Canada was able to seize the assets of the truckers who were on protest during COVID? Is that the kind of thing that worries you? Is that the kind of thing you see more of as our future? I think it's coming. Do you, do you know, it's called martial law, basically. Yeah, right, right. And so when you think about the kind of debt that we have and you look at the policies that are being promoted out of Washington— they don't seem anywhere close to being able to get their hands around this debt. And people say, well, we can knock off certain percentages over 10 and 20 year windows. It's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough if we want to sustain a free country. It's looking at the debt in 1964, $100 billion, $100 billion. 
you look at it now, it's unfathomable. People can't understand $33 trillion. They just can't understand it. But That's the reported debt. I was just going to say, I bet you think it's larger than that. Much larger. Yeah. I push it around $160 trillion. You think it's more— With with off-balance sheet, you know, Social Security, Medicare, pensions, military. Yeah. Is there an ability, and maybe this is a longer question, too. We'll pick up on the other side of this break. This is a short segment. We'll have a longer one coming back. Is there anything optimistic about possibly, with strong political leadership, as we were talking about earlier, growing our way out? Is economic growth a possibility for our future? Let me take a break and address that with you a little bit, if I can, Mr. Kiyosaki. Robert Kiyosaki is my guest. He and I will be right back. Robert Kiyosaki has been generous with his time and and brain uh, and uh, being with us here in studio today, kicking off our first hour. It's a delight uh, talking with you, uh, Robert. Talking about our economic woes, our social woes, our political woes, the debt being so great, and you think multiple times greater than what we're being told it is, is there a potential to grow our way out of it in your sense, in your views? Could we structure tax policy? Could we structure some kind of financial policy? Or is it something we can only do very incrementally and just live on a lot of luck at this point? Personally, I'm a pessimist. Yeah. I don't see how, you know, that, that I'd be like you're making 30000 a year, yeah. but you've got $6 million in debt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the capacity of a $30,000 a year person can't do it. Yeah. The worst, the biggest crime of all, which, was, which didn't surprise me at Arizona State, student loan debt is the number one asset of America. What the F is wrong with us? Yeah. How dare we basically enslave the future of our country, the yeah. brightest minds? Yeah. And then we allow those professors, those 39 woke professors at Arizona State, shut us down, you know, get, get Ann Atkins losing her job. They fired the president at Gamage. Yeah. And this guy Crow has no cojones, as they say. Why do we put up with that? Yeah, and we pay for it, too, by the way. Yes. It's a public university. It's the biggest institution in the United States. I knew you guys were going to have a problem the moment I saw the title of that. (laughs) No, I knew it because health, wealth, and happiness, you think about the left, they have a very distorted view of health. Their view of public health, you saw it during COVID. It's a very, very distorted view of what they view. Wealth, of course, is, is, is the is enemy it, is of Marx. Fa- isn't Fauci their... Yes, of course. Their right, leader. right. Their view of public health is that. Yeah. And that can include martial law, so yes. to speak, or martial law light, or an, a martial law experiment. Um, health. So I knew health was the problem. Wealth. Well, I mean, there's nothing that, as you were saying, contradicts Marxism greater than wealth. They do right. not believe in wealth creation. The abolition right. of private property. Absolutely. Number one thing for Marx. Collectivism, right? And happiness. When's the last time you met a happy leftist? It's hard. They have to be embittered. They have to be embittered because that's what creates the revolutionary mindset, isn't it? You don't engage in fundamental transformation or revolution if everything is good and if you are happy, right? You have to be of a negative, pessimistic, angry personality. So I knew the minute you had something as innocuous sounding as health, wealth, and happiness, I knew that was going to be a problem. (laughs) Yeah, right? Right? Correct, correct, correct. And the revolution can happen in many different ways. By the taking over institutions. You know, you and I have spent the past hour talking here about the colleges and universities. It's happening in elementary and yes. high schools, too. 
I mean, we woke up to that during COVID. I blame conservatives. I blame conservatives for abandoning that field for too long. Yes. We weren't looking. We weren't paying attention. As I say, we thought they'd all be fine once they graduated and got their paychecks. Turns out they didn't care about their paychecks or that thing called FICA or the taxes because they were told not to. They were taught not to. And it's just so widespread. You talked about Joe Biden on his first day in the pipeline and immigration. And he did something else, too. There was this thing called the 1776 Project to teach people about America that was put together by some really good professors, really solid academics. And he got rid of that, too. He took that off the government websites on day one of his presidency as well. It's almost as if the America we used to know and grew up and were taught about is a country they don't want us to know anymore. It sure seems that way. You listen to what Mark Levin or... This is why the Democrats hate us or yeah. hate, hate America. Yeah. I hate to say it, but it seems that way. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a lot of my family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they don't like capitalists. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going, what? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying is that in 1973, when I came January 10th, 1973, I came taxiing at Norton Air Force Base. Yeah. First, I got hit by eggs and spit on and all this. And though they became our leaders. Yeah. That's Nancy Pelosi. What's his name? Yeah, uh, all of them. Bernie. Yeah, Bernie. Sa- well, Bernie Sanders is such an interesting thing. People oh, don't realize how close he became to communism, becoming the nominee. Yes, and communism, um, and in such a way that he actually went to the Soviet Union, comes back, and brags about it. Yes, bread lines are a good thing, he says. Yes. Why do we have to have fifteen different kinds of deodorant? He says he literally hates capitalism. And it's not just about America, Robert. You're well-traveled. You've uh, been abroad recently, I think. Just came back from India. Yeah, there you go. That was interesting. Uh, (laughs) I bet it was. I bet it was. First time? No, no. Okay. If capitalism dies here, I think it's important to point out that poverty around the world grows too. What capitalism here has done for lifting people out of poverty around the world has been a miracle, and we're killing that too. Fair enough? Correct. But we, we've got to give also credit to the Chinese or Zheng Xiaoping. You know, at least he pulled a million, billion people out of poverty. But China is about to collapse today, too. Yeah. It's not sustainable. Yeah. Because as, you know, supply chain crash and all this stuff. Yeah. And the Chinese youth are in the worst conditions ever. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's revolution inside China. Yeah. Or America either. Yeah. The, the youth are going to take over. Those, those kids today with student loan debt are going... How did this happen to me? Yeah. Why did Obama change the rules in 2009? We live in an ironic moment. If there is a revolution in China from the youth, and we have seen bits and pieces of it here. A lot of us have memories of Tiananmen, 1989, I think. If we do see a revolution from the youth in China, it'll be for American values, ironically enough. Yes. But here the youth... (laughs) Here the youth would want to import Maoist principles. That is what their revolution will be. I, yes. think, I think that's the weird irony that we live in. When people protest around the world, Tehran, Beijing, Hong Kong, they raise American icons, you know, the flag, the Declaration of Independence. Here they raise the communist flag. The communist club at ASU has no problems. No, no problem. one's suppressing that. 
Nobody. Nobody. They, no one says a word about that. They bring it's it. Virtual, it's called virtual signaling. Yeah, yeah, virtue signaling. It's interesting what the youth here are interested in, what the youth abroad. I guess Ronald Reagan said it right. Those who have had freedom and lost it never get it back. But unless we teach freedom, it's not going to occur naturally into the next generation. It is our duty to teach it, isn't it? That's why you write. But also to fight for it. And fight for it. I remember in 1965, I was 18 years old. I sailed into Vietnam for the first time. I was a midshipman. And I said, what's a Viet Cong look like? I didn't know what a Viet Cong looked like, you know. And this guy said, they're sitting right there. And so I go, okay. So I went up, had a couple of beers with these. They're my my age. Yeah. I said, you guys are Viet Cong? They go, yeah. I said, we're going to kill you. I said, yeah. oh, I'm going to kill you too. Yeah. We had a great time. We drank beer and I said, we'll see you soon. Yes. <laughs> so I came back in 72 to fly the gunships against them. But it's more honest. Yeah. We killed a lot of people in the name of freedom. Yeah. But we're getting killed at home. Yeah, yeah. It can happen. It can happen that way. It oh, can so happen fast. because we're importing it ideologically without even a fire of uh, not even a gunshot having to be fired through our higher education. Right. Exactly. One point eight trillion student loan right. debt, our biggest asset of America. How dare we let how how dare we do that to our kids? Thank you for being here, sir. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Hopefully it'll be a down payment for many more returns. Yes. Thank you. Betcha. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They are good friends, and they are uh, based here locally. You can visit with them. Their headquarters is on uh, Scottsdale Road in the 101. They won't give you a sales pitch. They leave that up to me. But what they do have for you is an investment in a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. It's an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal, no penalty, if you need your money back at any time. And if you are concerned about stock market volatility or a possible recession or inflation, this investment is in a portfolio that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Oh, and in this portfolio, this investment, there are no fees. Why Refi is a due, due diligence approved firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. I can't, um, I really can't speak to this enough, the kinds of things Robert and I were just talking about. What a strong doctrine Marxism is in all its guises, and not just Karl Marx, but all of his students and his student students and his student student students, and what has become known now as progressivism, uh, used to be known as neo-Marxism. It's a strong ideology, and young people want to march for, sign up for, believe in something strong, and if it isn't going to be religion, which of course Marx taught was the opiate of the masses, tremendously anti-religious, religion had to go. Um, If it isn't going to be religion, and if it isn't going to be what we used to think of as strong here, principles like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you would think those are strong things. They are strong things. But when you diminish them and uh, remove them from the field— and uh, redefine them as in and of themselves denigratable 
and oppressive. Uh, what do you fight Marxism with? What, what, what is there to fight it with? You cannot, because as I was saying yesterday, as, um, as Spinoza said, uh, while nature abhors a vacuum, radical ideologies love them, and they will fill them up. And that's the condition we're in, sadly. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.